This podcast is a production of Restoring the Core, an initiative designed to assist those looking to explore classic Christianity with Connected Age resources online at restoringthecore.com. This is Finding Hidden Treasure, episode number 97. This episode is on the treasure of a God-given name. We find early in the Bible, particularly in the book of Genesis, that God is a giver of names. In Genesis chapter 17, verses 1 through 5, we find God renaming the patriarch Abram. The text reads, Now when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will establish my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you will be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. The renaming suited God's purposes for Abraham, the great father, that is, Abram, would now be called the father of a great multitude, Abraham. We find a similar renaming with Abraham's grandson, Jacob. Jacob, in the process of his birth, grabbed the heel of his fraternal twin brother Esau, as Esau was about to be born. Hence, Jacob means heel grabber, another way to indicate that he's a cheater, as he tried to hold back his brother from being the firstborn. It was a fitting name for Jacob. Jacob would later trick Esau out of his birthright and the blessing of the firstborn, as well as deceiving his father Isaac in the process. Years later, Jacob would return home from Mesopotamia after leaving his father-in-law Laban's land without prior warning, along with his two wives, two concubines, twelve children, and a lot of livestock. Jacob was in a desperate situation. Departing from Laban and his men was difficult enough. He was now returning to the land where Esau lived. Esau, his twin brother, who threatened to kill him decades earlier. During this journey, Jacob finds himself alone by the river Jabbok. In Genesis chapter 32, we find the account of a strange wrestling match between Jacob and a mysterious figure who turns out to be God himself. In verse 28, we find God changing Jacob's name to Israel, which means he strives with God. We find God not only renaming individuals, but naming them even ahead of their births. Abraham's first son, Ishmael, received his name by the command of the angel of the Lord. See Genesis chapter 16, verse 11. Isaac also received his name by the command of God. See Genesis chapter 17, verse 19. These names were not arbitrary. Ishmael's name means God hears. In reply to the affliction which his mother Hagar endured after she fled from Sarai, another renamed person, later known as Sarah. Isaac means he laughs, a reminder to Abraham of his reaction when God told him about the birth of a son whom Sarah would bear and give birth to about a year later. The text of Genesis 17.17 indicates that Abraham actually fell on his face and laughed when he heard the news. Every time that Abraham would call Isaac's name, he would remember his reaction as well as the faithfulness of God. Naming children ahead of their births, even ahead of their conceptions, is not confined to the pages of the Old Testament. We find John the Baptist getting the name John by God's command as relayed by the angel Gabriel. See Luke chapter 1 verse 13. John means God has been gracious. Perhaps the best-known person in the Bible who was named prior to his birth is that of Jesus Christ himself. Mary was instructed by the angel Gabriel that she should give the baby who was about to be conceived in her womb the name Jesus, 
See Luke chapter 1, verse 31, a name which means the Lord saves. As we read through the Bible, we find God-given names for God himself, and even specifically for Christ. In the narrative of Moses encountering God at the burning bush, we find God telling Moses a name for himself, which he calls his memorial name, a name that was unknown prior to this to humans, I am that I am. Revelation chapter 3 verse 12 indicates that God himself will have a new name. However, it's a new name that's not specifically indicated in the text. These are not the only names which we find assigned to Jesus. In Revelation chapter 19, we see several other names by which the Lord Jesus will be known. In verse 13, we see Jesus is called by the name, the Word of God. Verse 16 tells us another name of Jesus, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. God predicted through the prophet Isaiah the birth of a child on whose shoulders an unending government would rest. That prophesied child is, of course, the Lord Jesus. Isaiah's prophecy gives a set of names for this child. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. See Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Some of Jesus' names actually remain unknown. Verse 12 of Revelation chapter 19 states, He, that is Christ, has a name written on him, which no one knows except himself. We too have names. We carry the name which our parents gave us. These serve to identify us within a family and also as individuals. As Christians, we have names given to us due to our believing in Christ. The earliest New Testament testimony to this is found in Acts chapter 11, verse 26. We find in that passage that Christians were first called by the name Christian at Antioch. The name that a person is given for believing in Christ is not necessarily meant kindly. The Lord Jesus warns his followers that they will face persecution, be hated, and possibly even face death. Name-calling, in the worst sense, has been a part of church history right from the beginning. Two examples help to demonstrate the point. The name Puritan was given to those who, in the 16th and 17th centuries, sought to further the English Reformation by removing or purifying the Church of England from its remaining Roman Catholic practices. The term Puritan was intended as an insult. Later, in the 18th century, followers of the Anglican priest John Wesley were given a name by those who found Wesley's approach to the Christian life to be rather rigid. They were called the people who lived by rule and method. Thus, the name applied to them, Methodist. The 19th century British preacher Charles Spurgeon had an interesting observation about this tendency in church history, but applied it encouragingly to the individual believer. Spurgeon observed, they may say you are an enthusiast, a fanatic, a fool, but those names from the world are titles of praise and glory. The world does not take the trouble to nickname a man unless he is worth it. It will not give you any censure unless it trembles at you. The moment they begin to turn at bay, it is because they feel that they have a man to do with. In more contemporary language, a person who must be taken seriously. The opposition to those who are Christians by those who are not does not have the final word. Those who are believers in Christ are said in the Bible to be in Christ, two small words which have an impact that shakes the world. Christian identity is found in Christ. So strong is this identity that what happens to Christ, namely crucifixion, death, resurrection, and ascension to the Father's right hand in heaven, is said to have happened to the believer as well. When Christians are persecuted in this world, it can be said, 
as Jesus said to Saul on the road to Damascus, that it is Christ himself who is being persecuted. Lastly, we find in the book of Revelation a reference to a name which Christ gives his people. It is not a name given to a collection of persons. Rather, it is a name given to individual believers. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 17, we find the following. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I, that is Christ, will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone and a new name written on the stone, which no one knows but he who receives it. Clearly, Jesus loves his people, but his love is not confined only to the collective of his people. His love extends also individually to each member of his people. One day, each of us who trust Christ will be given a new name. However, it will not be a new name known to everyone. It will be a special name which only the individual believer in Christ will know. A hidden treasure awaits each believer, the treasure of a new name, given by Christ only, known by Christ, and the believer whom Christ loves. Thank you for listening to this program. We can be contacted at mail at restoringthecore.com. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash restoringthecore. You can also follow us on Twitter at RestoreTheCore. My original blog is still active. It is found at schoolofthesolitaryplace.blogspot.com. Thank you for listening. Please join us next time for Finding Hidden Treasure.